Hey everybody, welcome to the show, another episode of Our Memphis History. Today we have a local author by the name of Bill Haltom. He's written many books, but today we're going to focus on the Sears Crosstown in Memphis book uh, that's uh, come out a couple years ago. Um, Bill, just tell us a couple things about yourself, and uh, Joe's also over there, and we'll get started. Well, thank you, Mark, uh, Joe, and, and I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk about this book. You know, I, uh, I'm a lifelong Memphian. I have written nine books, and all my books have been stories, stories, uh, true stories, uh, about people that inspired me or events that inspired me. And the latest, my book, Sears Crosstown in Memphis, uh, is... Well, in some respects, it's about a building, but you know, this is not about bricks and mortar. This is really about people. And uh, I'm a lifelong Memphian who grew up with the old Sears Crosstown building. I can even remember now how it smelled when I walked in the lobby with that, that candy counter. Uh, it was, uh, to me, it was just, uh, I did not like to go shopping with my mother except when she said we were going to Sears right. Crosstown. And I just loved the place. And, uh, and so uh, when, when uh, after it was closed for many years, I write about that in the book, when the project came along to, to rebuild it, thanks to three wonderful visionaries in Memphis that I'll be happy to talk about, I said, I want to share this story. Right. So that's what I've done. I've told the story of, of the Sears Crosstown building in Memphis from catalogs to a concourse and what it has meant to this city and what it means to this city now that it's been really resurrected, right. this Crosstown yeah. Concourse. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe and I have both read the book, as we always do with the authors, and I was enthralled by the just the history that I didn't know about, because like Joe, we both kind of grew up around that area, and like you said, the smell and, <laughs> and walking through the underground passage from the garage to the building, I don't think I'll ever forget that. I mean, going around the corner and smelling the roasted right. nuts and, and the candy counter and everything, so very interested in hearing more, and again, read the book and love it. Um, so, uh, Joe, if you have you had some questions you wanted to pose, um, yeah. just yeah, to kind of yeah. get started. I think one of the things that, that always intrigued me, and I go back to the Saturday morning, which was a special thing when, with my dad and my dad would, would fix breakfast and then after he fixed breakfast and uh, then he'd snatch me up and the first place we would go would be to the garden shop across mm -hmm. the street right. where Cleveland and Watkins come together. That was the first place we went mm -hmm. because he always wanted to look at the lawnmowers. Really interested me a lot, not. <laughs> so then we'd go across the street and the minute you get over there, if someone opened the door to come out, you were hit with that wonderful aroma. Mm -hmm. I knew that before we went and looked anywhere else, we were gonna go get something to eat. Right, yeah, something to snack And on. we would spend an hour or so over there and he'd be figuring out what he was gonna get for <laughs> Christmas presents. Yeah. You know, even if we were in April, he's yeah. looking around like we had nothing to do. And then when we'd leave there, we'd go to the Harbor mm -hmm. restaurant, which was back across the street mm -hmm. because they had the best club steak in town. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was, what what drove you to want to concentrate on this building other than your personal? Was there something else? That well, it, I appreciate that question, Joe. Uh, again, it is part of my personal journey as a Memphian. But you know, I, I'm just fascinated with uh, why it was built in the first place. Uh, and why it closed, and why after 25 years it was it was it was reopened? Because I think it's a fascinating story. I have a daughter who is an architecture major at the University of Virginia, and 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 uh, 
And uh, she once told me about architecture. She, she said, you know, architecture, Dad, is not about buildings. It's about people. Right. And I was so moved by that. And this story of this building, it's a story that uh, goes back to uh, a visionary like Richard Sears, who, uh, who created the Sears and Roebuck, Julius Rosenwald, the great philanthropist who uh, really made it uh, the largest retail establishment in the world, General Robert Wood, the quartermaster of the Panama Canal, excuse me, yeah, of the Panama Canal Project, who, who, who envisioned uh, coming to, to Memphis as the distribution center for the Southeast United States. Uh, to the visionaries that came along in recent years after it closed. Visionaries like Todd Richardson, a great art historian, Staley Cates, a visionary developer, Dr. Scott Morris with the, with the Church Health Center that really brought, these, brought this building back. So, so this, the book is really about, about visionaries in, in, in this city. You know, Memphis has always had incredible visionaries, whether it's Danny Thomas or Fred Smith or Clarence Saunders. You have these visionaries, and this book is about people like that. That, that created Sears Crosstown at the beginning. Then when Sears went into, uh, went into demise for a number of years, they brought this place back. And you can, you can be there today. Uh, I call it the Wish Building because the Sears and Roebuck catalog was known as the Wish, Wish Book. Book. And so I said, this is the Wish Building. And it was the Wish Building when it was built in 1927. And it's the Wish Building when it reopened in 2017. It's the Wish Building today. That's right. That's right. My dad used to hunt. My dad grew up on Lewis Street between Bellevue and Walden, just north of Poplar, the interstate took it. Yeah. But as a little kid, he went to Maury School, and he and his brothers and the Rice brothers all went hunting over in, in the Lees Woods area. That they, They'd hunt squirrel <laughs> where the Sears building is. Yeah. I went and to Maury the first, first four years ago. <laughs> tell tell me all these great stories, yeah. you know, about living down here in sure. this area. Right around the corner. So this yeah. is, this is yeah. Just one of the coolest buildings, and you know they had the hardwood floors in there too. You oh, know, yeah. back in the day, all Valentine did, and all the old schools did. And in the evenings, the janitors would take sawdust and they'd take linseed oil and they dump it on the sawdust and they push it and they would <laughs> wax those floors. And they had a, a an aroma to them too. If yeah. you go in old school buildings, that's part of what you smell. Yeah. Sears had that too. So yeah. when you added that to the, the smell of the cashews and the chocolate and everything else. <laughs> it was unique to just that building. Yeah. We all have our memories of, of you know going in that store. Tell us a little bit about the building and, and the beginning sure. of the book. And Well, uh, uh, Sears, of course, was the Amazon.com of its time. It really was. Uh, in the late 1890s, Richard Sears and his partner Alva Roebuck created a catalog created a catalog that eventually would have a circulation of 15 million Americans. And the catalog was the original Amazon.com because in the late 19th century, when most people didn't live in cities and the only store they had was the, was the country store in the town with not much you could buy at the country store and very little credit extended, and all of a sudden, they get this wonderful catalog that comes through the mail. And they can order clothes, they can order musical instruments, they can order appliances. You could order a house the plans for a house. I was recently reading a book by President Jimmy Carter about his background. The house he grew up in in Plains, they got they got the plans from Sears and Roebuck. They ordered them from Sears and Roebuck. You could order a car mm -hmm. from Allstate. And what people don't realize is that when Sears Crosstown was opened, it did have retail on the first two floors, but it was primarily a distribution center. On floors three through 12, there were 1,500 people working there every day processing 45 thousand orders a day. 
You know, because of FedEx, we like to say we're America's distribution center. Well, it really started with Sears Crosstown. It started with that building. That Sears with those orders. Track, the L and M track. The L and M track. back there was, was back in the day went mm -hmm. all the way downtown. That that track has a wonderful history behind it. Mm -hmm. In the building of, of Southwestern, they brought the quarry mm -hmm. in on that track. But that track probably carried more freight out of Memphis than any other set of tracks in Memphis. And Joe, you just pointed out something about the location. A lot of people, when they when Sears uh, built the tower there in 1927, people didn't understand. It was two miles from downtown, and it was on an old dump site, and there was nothing around it. But see, what the Sears people realized was there was the LNN railroad track there. They had an automatic uh, distribution center out of it. Uh, and also, General Wood, uh, uh, incredible visionary he also saw that people were going to be driving cars more and more that they they built it they built 15 they had a parking for 1500 cars at Sears Crosstown and they saw what was going to going to happen but again a lot of the developers in the town the people in the town at the time just said gosh this is this is where is this place yeah, it's way it's, out it's, it's way out it's one of the outskirts of, of the city but they were visionaries about have this. you ever thought about how many cars went to that particular gas station to have their oil change. We used to go to Mr. Massey's Gulf Station, which was at Jackson and Evergreen, yeah. and then Dad said, you know what, this is a better place over here. We'll just go over here. Yeah. Yeah, From then on, they that's where we took our car. Yeah. 1,500 yeah. spots where there are 1,500 right. cars in Memphis right. at that point. <laughs> you know? At that point, yeah. yeah. But they saw, also at the same time, the city built a trolley line. They built the cross Crosstown Trolley, mm -hmm. and its inaugural run was on the day of the opening. I write about that in the book. Mayor Rallett Payne uh, drove the trolley. He didn't know anything about driving a trolley. He was a mayor, and apparently he had a, a few near misses a, along the way. But it was uh, it was quite an occasion. Uh, 40,000 people attended the opening, and uh, WMC Radio broadcast the whole event throughout throughout the city. So it was very exciting. It was very exciting. Time. I love how you covered that in the book, too. There's some great stories in there about uh, the mayor coming up. Uh, and that trolley almost <laughs> run over folks. Um, and it had to be a great day in Memphis, number one. And then just, you know, all of the things that that was going to be the beginning of, there was a lot of potential uh, in, that, in that meeting and that opening. So let's talk about some of the people involved in this building. There, there's some characters and, and just some amazing people that were involved in both the beginning and the resurrection of this. Well, I, I think Julius Rosenwald is somebody who, uh, an incredible figure. Uh, Julius Rosenwald was a, phil a philanthropist, an industrialist. Uh, he, he rescued, uh, see, when, when Richard Sears and Al Robot created Sears, uh, they, they had so many hundreds of thousands of orders from the catalog, they couldn't process them all. And they were sitting, the orders were sitting in the warehouse in, in Chicago, and it was Julius Rosenwald who, in, in the early 20th century, came in, bought the Alva Roebuck's interest out completely, and uh, he uh, he actually had grown up in New York and uh, was had a close friend named uh, uh, Goldman <laughs> and uh, Goldman Sachs, and in 1905 uh, at Goldman uh, at Goldman's direction uh, they went public mm -hmm. with like 30 million dollars of stock. It was, it was incredible. But then what he did was he. He not only came to Memphis with the vision on this, he was here the day it was open, mm -hmm. but he was also an uh, early civil rights advocate. He, uh, he, early on in life, he was inspired by Booker T. Washington's book, Up From Slavery. 
he went to Tuskegee and visited with Booker T. Washington, asked him what I can do, and he said, we need to build schools. schools yep. And he built over 4,000 schools, Rosenwald schools. John Lewis was a graduate of the Rosenwald School. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Maya Angelou was a graduate of the Rosenwald School. It's incredible. So he not only came to Memphis and built this great distribution center, but he also, at the same time, he, uh, uh, he, he, he built schools around the South, a uh, major uh, contributor to the building of Fisk University in Nashville. Just an incredible, incredible uh, figure, incredible right. leader. Right. Just one of the many that have been involved with this from the beginning. I've got to ask a question. It just came to me. Now, <laughs> yeah. this may be just totally off the wall, and if it's off the wall, you can cut it out. <laughs> but that design of that building, was that used at other Sears? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. Yeah, uh, Sears built 12 of these distribution centers uh, around the same time. One in Boston, one in Atlanta, one in Dallas, one in Seattle. The one in Seattle, incidentally, is now the headquarters for Starbucks. Uh, Still I, there is the headquarters yes, of Starbucks. And they're all designed uh, uh, by the same architectural firm in, in, uh, in Chicago and this Art Deco uh, design to it. As a matter of fact, if you go to some of them, like the Landmark Center in Boston, you will say, Oh my gosh, that is Sears Crossing. It is the exact yeah, same look. But yes, they built them all that way. Yeah. And and, and uh, some of them have been redone, uh, but most of them are still standing in that in that, that kind of context. Actually, that, that brings up the deal about, I had, I had read this in a trade publication, that the gravity tank, the fire protection tank, they did not want that on top of their building like everybody else's building because they thought it would detract from the building. So the tower in the front of the building had the 75,000 gallon tank hidden in it so they could maintain their fire protection system, but no one would know that they had the tank there. Right, gravity fed and water. <laughs> I always wondered what was in, what, what was up in that tower? And, and I didn't <laughs> learn until just about in the last two years what was up there. Yeah, it's a beautiful building, obviously, and, and seen from all different angles. You've seen pictures of it from every possible angle and some great ones in the book. Um, but what else What else can we talk about when it comes to just getting that started? Well, uh, of course, like I said, uh, General Robert Wood, who was the quartermaster of the Panama Canal, was the uh, he had gone to work after World War One with uh, uh, for Montgomery Ward, and Julius Rosenwald hired him away from Montgomery Ward. He really, uh, I like to say in the book, uh, uh, his favorite book was not the Sears and Roebuck Catalog, it was the Statistical Abstract of the United States. And he actually he envisioned the Sun Belt. He actually saw as early as the 1920s that people were going to be moving to the Sun Belt, the United States. And so he saw Memphis as a great opportunity there. And so really it was his kind of vision, Julius Rosenwald's uh, vision. And of course, Richard Sears and Albert Roebuck started it. You know, with a, Richard Sears, it was a, he started with 12 unclaimed watches at a railway station. Right. He was the railway station operator and 12 watches weren't claimed. And he told the manufacturer, I'll buy them from you for $10 a piece. He sold them down the line right. of the railway for $20 a piece. And that started Sears and Roebuck. It right. literally started what became the largest retail establishment in the world. Right, just because some watches didn't get delivered. That's right, exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> some small right. things in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's, again, I love how you covered that in the book. Okay, when you and I uh, talked previously, we discussed about people that would come up to you and say all kinds of cool things. We want uh, every, everybody that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that experienced the building over the years has a story about it, and they share the story with me, and they're really incredible, uh, incredible stories. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, people always want to tell me about uh, going to the uh, uh, 
to the to the garden center and the pets the, the, the pet section you could buy a zoo at the pet section I mean, you could buy chickens ducks uh, uh, chameleons you know just buy anything there and then of course the other story people tell me is that uh, they knew Christmas was coming when the Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog would arrive in November Seriously, people, that was one of the most exciting days of the year because the wish book was there. And people really saw that as when that book got delivered in this time of the year, mid-November or so, people said, it's Christmas. Yeah, The Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog was really what the story was was about. I remember getting flipping through those pages and dog-earing the ones and things I wanted. They had like 900 pages at one time, and over 200 of the pages were dedicated to toys. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, they knew Just dedicated to toys, so they knew exactly what they were doing. Exactly what they were doing. Yeah, now the wish book, like you said, is is an icon of marketing and Christmas and all that kind of wound together. You know, their switchboard in there and I've got a picture of it. They had about five or six of the upright boards that you connect with the back cord ring with the front. Right. Five or six switchboard operators. Yeah. Yeah. Taking all those orders and those <laughs> pneumatic tubes. Well, I that's, pneumatic. Picture right. of the pneumatic that's exactly tubes. right. Yeah, the one one lady told me the story that when she worked in the delivery worked in the, in the area, she 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 brought roller skates to work every day. Yes. And she would be roller skating back and forth on the floor there to process the process the orders. And she came to the opening. She did. She did, she did yes. come to the opening. Yeah. She sure did. That's yeah. right. And her husband said, "Are you going to take your rollers?" <laughs> she, she might have been a little, <laughs> a little uh, unused to those at that Who point. Yeah. yeah, that's a great story. What were you mentioning about air conditioning? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Sears was the first uh, uh, building in Memphis to be air conditioned. They had a, they had that wasn't wasn't like what we're sort of used to now. But but for the 1920s, it was that was really really something. You know, I, I I've had some I've had some uh, friends tell me that uh, probably the, the the most progressive thing that happened in the South was the advent of air conditioning. Yes. Seriously, and and that really didn't happen throughout the South until the probably the 50s the 60s on at that time. I, my late father used to say that uh, when he was a boy. He would go to the picture shows, but you'd go to the yeah. movies because yeah. the movie the movie theaters were air conditioned. Yeah. He said on a summer day we just go there and just yeah. just sit there. <laughs> Enjoy that. No matter what the movie was. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I'm definitely yeah. big fans of air conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so you've mentioned the Rosenwalls, uh, or Mr. Rosenwall. Um, who else is is instrumental in that? Just a great story. Well, a lot of Memphians would remember a wonderful man named Lester Gingold. Uh, Lester Gingold. Uh, Came to Memphis in 1952. Sears sent him here from Birmingham to manage the Memphis store, and he became just a legendary figure there. Later, later developed the best times in Memphis. Just, just a fabulous guy. And uh, Lester would actually open the door every. He had a school bell. While they would ring a school bell, to open Sears out. But he would go out the front door in the morning and ring to say they were open for business. And uh, one of my favorite Lester Gingold stories. Uh, I think Joe was mentioning earlier the the farm store and the. Uh, he got in trouble with the SPCA one time, the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, because he had burrows uh, at the uh, outside at the uh, at the store at the at the at the farm store, and uh, and he, he said and they said it was cruel to have them outside in the sun. And he said, "They're burrows. <laughs> That's what they do. Where this is their this do? is their work environment." But but anyway, but he told just great stories and and really. Uh, really, Lester was the manager of the store during some great glory years, the, the 50s and 60s, and just a marvelous Memphian who uh, who so many people met and got to know over the years, and uh, I, I miss Lester. Who's yeah. Did they man. move him out to the, when they opened up the... No, I think he stayed, when they, when they opened the East Memphis store, I think Lester stayed the 
the whole time uh, until he moved on uh, retirement, not retirement, but renewal in his best times days. Yeah. You're talking about across the street. There used to be the curb market across sure. the street, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which we would go to before or after. Most of the time after we'd leave Sears, we'd go to the curb market. And there's, uh, a, there's a new curb market in, in Crosstown Concourse absolutely. now. Absolutely. We yeah. were there this weekend, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. um, and the, the place is just hopping. There's all kinds That's of great. things there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Church Health Center is there. That's I right. know Scott Morris was in a big part of that. That's and right. I know he's, he plays a big part of your book, too. Well, they're, they're, again, talking about visionaries, uh, of course, Sears uh, Crosstown was literally closed and shuttered uh, from around 1990 uh, for about 25 years. Uh, Staley Cates bought the building in 2007, and the Cates family, this marvelous family, we all remember George and uh, we lost recently, and being there. These, these are fabulous people. And, and what the Cates family does, which is incredible, is, is they have developed abandoned properties over the years. Mm-hmm. They, they brought back Saks Records, they brought back Soulsville, they brought all these things. And Staley bought the building in 2007, really didn't have much of a plan yeah, for it, but it. He, he thought it was too beautiful a building uh, to tear down. A lot of people were saying imploded, right. and Staley was determined he wasn't going to implode it. And then he renewed a friendship with an artist, Todd Richardson, uh, incredible guy. Todd Richardson, uh, 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 art historian, uh, 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 had, had grown up in uh, around this part of the country, had been the youth minister at Idlewild Presbyterian at one time, mm-hmm. was going to Memphis Theological, and then realized his, his ministry might be in art. So he went to Cal Berkeley, got a PhD in art history, uh, lived in the Netherlands for a number of years while he was working on his PhD, and uh, lived in an old factory there that they had developed into a, an art colony. In 2010, he comes back to Memphis to be an art history professor at the University of Memphis, renews his friendship with Staley Cates, and literally, literally, having a, in a dinner conversation one night, Staley says, I bought the Crosstown building, I bought Sears Crosstown, and I don't know what to do with it, do you have any ideas? He literally asked him, do you have any ideas? Yeah. And Todd said, well, uh, my wife and I lived in an old factory in the Netherlands, maybe we could do something like that. That conversation literally led to uh, Crosstown Concourse. Yeah, and, and again, so the whole story of Sears Crosstown, it begins with visionaries like like uh, Rosenwald and, and Robert Wood, and, and uh, it's sustained by visionaries like Lester Gingo, and then it's reopened, it is, it is resurrected. Uh, and I don't use that word, uh, I mean that sincerely. It, uh, uh, but it was, it was brought back to life, uh, and of course then Scott Morris, played a huge role in this because the Church Health Center, at, at the time that this was being built, was in 11 different locations around the city, yeah. and Dr. Morris wanted to get the, uh, Dr. Morris wanted to, uh, to get the uh, 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 Church Health Center all in one, one center and one headquarters, and they became an anchor tenant for that. They were followed by the, the Teacher Residency Program, uh, St. Jude Residency Program, Crossville High School, Methodist Hospital with a huge presence there, uh, Step Ahead Foundation that my wife uh, founded to provide family planning and uh, uh, birth, uh, long-term birth control for young women in the city and scholarships. So all these things came together. And so it really is, like I say, it was the wish building in 1927, it's the wish building in 2021. It's got a little bit of everything. Again, we were there just there this weekend, and we actually had a friend whose son was at St. Jude, and they stayed there for a while. Yes, that's a, that's a great part of the program. If you have a, a child who's going to be a long-term patient mm-hmm. at, uh, at uh, 
St. Jude, uh, uh, you can you yeah, can have still, residency at sure. uh, Crosstown Concourse, yeah. which is a marvelous it is Absolutely, yeah, it was a wonderful yeah. thing for them to be able to stay there. They have to, all of those kids' parents and the kids have to stay within a certain time distance away from right. St. Jude. You have to be able to get there quickly. Yeah. And so I think that might be the, the outskirts of that time frame. So that's a perfect, perfect place. For I might them. mention too, there are 1,500 residents there. Uh, and I love it, the fact that they, they call the apartments or the residences, they call them parcels because that's where people, that's where they package things up. So they're not packaging up people, but it nope, is a, it's it is. a great concept to call it parcels. It is yes. called the parcels, that's yeah. right. Yeah, um, the, the downstairs part of that is, is wide open. They've opened up some atriums, right. uh, the signage. There's a, uh, a radio station there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a local radio station. There's uh, all types of restaurants. It's a great place. Yeah, it, um, it's a, it, it, uh, Todd Richardson describes it as a vertical urban village. Right. That was the concept. We want to bring back a vertical urban village. In, in one sense, it's almost greater than, than, than Sears was in the, right. in the sense sure. that there was retail at Sears, and that's great, and, that's, and there were jobs at Sears, mm-hmm. but there's so much more now, and and uh, Todd Richardson and Staley Cates both said there were three parts. McLean Wilson played a major role in this, too, Christopher Miner. Uh, these visionaries said there are three things about Memphis we really want to emphasize there. Uh, education, uh, the arts, and health care, and they're all, all three of those are, are very much a part of, uh, of what Crosstown Concourse is. Well, all right. What in the heck is that big old round ball <laughs> on that pole that's east of the building? Well, you're referencing Beacon is the name of it. Oh. Uh, in t- beginning in 2010, years before the building was was reopened, mm-hmm. uh, Crosstown Arts was created. And Crosstown Arts uh, had all sorts of funky, crazy uh, celebration mm-hmm. there. And they had an art competition uh, and, uh, in, in something called uh, Memphist. And uh, uh, and a couple of artists uh, uh, proposed a sculpture called Beacon, and Beacon looked like a. They even called it a disco ball. <laughs> it's out there, and it did not win the prize in the contest. But a couple of residents of uh, really of Hind Park, my neighborhood, close by to Crosstown, uh, Harry Freeman and Sarah Ratner, big art supporters, they loved it, and so they funded it right. to build it. And it's there. It's kind of and it's kind of the. It was kind of the first. Sculpture that was was up there on the property mm-hmm. uh, to kind of just signify. Like I said, this was a real evolutionary process. And originally, you know, originally they thought we might have an art colony, and that's it. I mean, as big as that building was. But then once you had Scott Morris saying, "I want I want to move Church Health Center there," once you had all these artists clamoring to be there, then it just it just it just yeah. took off. It right. really took off. In a school, yeah, like you said, you have MTR, the right. Memphis Teacher Residency. Uh, you've got Nexair, which is a, a big part of it down there. Kind of came out of nowhere, I think. Um, but yeah, just amazing what's been done with that building. It opened, as you said, in 2017. 2017, a wonderful opening and yeah. uh, quite a day. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I, I compare in the book uh, August of 1927, the day the building was originally opened, what a celebration that was. And then you come to 2017, and what a celebration uh, uh, that was. So it's uh, it's it's an incredible it's an incredible story of uh, and it's a great Memphis story too. Right, it's it a great is. Memphis story. There's some great pictures in the book, and, and we will link to the book and some other things that we've talked about uh, in the show notes. So make sure you you go there and purchase this book. Number one, but number two, just there's some great photos in there about the old version of the of a room. And now the new version of that, wow. kind of the juxtaposition of those two things. Beautiful, uh, again, beautiful photos. 
What a timely, timely book. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what a great time to, to be able to put the information out there. Yeah, as I said, we were there this weekend. There were people everywhere sure. having fun, sitting on the steps, reading. Uh, there were, you know... People walking their dogs. The restaurants were full. <laughs> They're a very dog-friendly place. It's a very dog-friendly dog place. Dog very, uh, all the way on that elevator ride, bringing your dog down. But uh, just very vibrant. Um, and again, an excellent time for that right now, I think, in Memphis. A uh, very positive thing for the Memphis community around there. Again, that, that community has been uh, revitalized. A lot of it had to do, I mean, Crosstown was really, the concourse was really the first thing that, came back in that neighborhood right. um so now and, there's you, know, you can see everything. that building yeah. when when you look at the build the pictures that we have of downtown memphis looking from the west to the east mm-hmm. there that you can see you that can see you can see that tower yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's uh, the whole neighborhood now there's the high tone there there's restaurants there's all types of of places and that that whole neighborhood has just been revived mm-hmm. from there so, Bill, it's been a real pleasure to walk through this book and the memories and everything. What else would you like to, to tell our listeners? And uh, we'll, we'll link to the book, but where else can you buy the book besides online? Well, of course, uh, uh, I, I love Burke's Bookstore in Midtown yes. and uh, Corey and Cheryl. And uh, we roll this book out from Burke's. Uh, I have one thing in common with uh, with John Grisham, which is we, we've had our first book signings with Burks. <laughs> That's the only thing I have in common. No thing in terms of sales, but uh, but of course it's available at Burks. It's available at Novel, and it's uh, it's. Uh, I have a website. You ready for this? I have a website called BillHalton.com. I spent okay. a lot of time and thought yeah, putting fine. that together, but you can order it from BillHalton.com. But uh, you know, and I, I I just I just enjoy it and have a. Have a good time with you. Yeah, well, great. Well, we appreciate it. It's been a real honor to have oh. you on the show, and we love the book. Uh, run out and get this one. You will not be disappointed. It's a great book. Thank you. Um, and uh, I guess that's it for us tonight. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Thank you.